welcome. I'm Pastor Allen. Uh, I know we have some new folks here. A special welcome to you. Um, hope you had a great Christmas and Happy New Year if I don't greet you later. Uh, if you would indulge me for a few minutes, I want to tell you about my Christmas. It was uh, uh, almost <laughs> unex- unexplainable. I need to give you a little backstory first. And then this is a good Sunday for you to be here, especially new folks. You kind of figure out what I'm about. Those that have been here can hear me talk about this stuff every week, but we're going to kind of summarize uh, what we've done and hopefully where we're going. All right, I'm kind of old, so back a long time ago, uh, I was in college and seminary in the 70s, um, and as a young guy, I liked neat cars like most young guys do, and uh, so there was this car that came out, it was a Datsun 240Z, I thought it was pretty cool. And of course, I'm a student working two jobs to pay my way through school, so it's just kind of one of those, that's a cool car thing. And um, got, out of, got out of school uh, debt-free, so that was good. I was driving around a little Ford Maverick all those years. <laughs> anyway, it got me where I needed to go. And so in January of 1976, I was finished school, and uh, so I was starting to look for a job, and of course, if I had stayed single, I would have made enough money to buy a new car. Well, same month in January, I met somebody named, uh, at the time, Debbie Jenkins. <laughs> and so, long story short, within a year, I was married. So once you get a young guy with married, uh, you don't think about, I guess, I didn't anyway, sports cars anymore, right? Uh, you think about family and houses and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of my history from 45 years ago. Fast forward up to Christmas Day, about quarter to 11 when our kids and grandkids are supposed to show up, my wife says, hey, we have a care home and we take care of some, of, some ladies and, oh, they have an emergency, I need to go down there. I said, oh, okay, go, go. Um, she was lying to me the whole time. <laughs> it was killing her too, if you know my wife, lying is not easy for her. So anyway... Uh, and then I get a call from my youngest son, Jared, who plays guitar up here. Hey, go look under my old bed. And I'm thinking, this is pretty strange. And so I go look under the bed, and there's this tennis racket under there. And I said, oh, there's a tennis racket under there. And he said, well, well, look what else is there. So I pulled the tennis racket. There's a note from my wife on this tennis racket. Meet me at the tennis courts at Boonesboro High School, ASAP. And Jerry says, yeah, do that. <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, it's a little strange, really strange. Uh, so I get in my car. I take the tennis racket with me. I don't know if I need it or not. Uh, back, back up, our first date back in 1976 was to play tennis at Boonesboro High School. So that was kind of the connection. And, but I'm thinking, our kids and grandkids are coming. This is Christmas morning. And so I get to the school, and I pull up, and some of my kids and spouses and grandkids are standing on the corner. So I pull over where they're parked, and I come back and say, what's going on? So they're all looking down the road, and so I'm looking down the road, and here comes this little Datsun sports car. And it pulls up, and my wife gets out. And we're going to kind of give you a visual so you can kind of live it with me. Vicariously. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now, you all had aerial views of your Christmas presents, right? Everybody out here? My son does that. Start looking couple, right? <laughs> All right, I bet you nobody topped that for Christmas, didn't they? Thank you, kids, wife, <laughs> for that. If you'd like to see it, the car is in the back parking lot. And somebody asked me if they could take a ride for a spin, and I said, absolutely. I, um, Something I never, you know, 45 years later, you know, dreams do come true sometimes. <laughs> well, we're glad that you're here this morning. I'm um, going to share my heart with you. Um, I looked at some of my notes. I started doing this back in the, in the late 1990s, uh, kind of saying this. This church is uh, 26 years and about four months old, and I've been here 25 of those years. Uh, the first year, just in different capacities, a member filling in for the part-time pastor and so forth. Starting January 1, I will be, have been the full-time, first and only full-time pastor of this church for the last 24 years. So, when we talk about this church, I've invested a lot in it, obviously, uh, this body of believers. But we have to ask the question, what business are we in? And what is none of our business? And how is business? Why do we exist? Why do we come here? Why do we give money? Why do we put uh, time and energy into this, this, this deal called Smithsburg Valley? Uh, important questions to ask ourselves every once in a while because it's easy to, you know, get off track. Uh, the foundation is this, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's our message. Uh, that hasn't changed. It never will change. And that's critical. Uh, we believe that, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born, the Son of God, to the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, suffered cruelly, and died for your sins and mine, and rose from the dead three days later to, to conquer sin and death, and we can have a personal relationship with God starting now and going on for eternity. So that's the foundation. But, but how do we do that? What do we do? How do we communicate that? So a little bit this morning, I'm going to talk about who we are, uh, what we've done, or where we've been, and hopefully where we hope to go. So often, we as individuals and as churches, we say, hey, God, bless what I'm doing. This is my plan. You know, bless it. And, and the, the proper approach, proper attitude is, okay, God, help us do what you are blessing. And one way you can tell if you, you're doing that is if God blesses. So just a few short statistics uh, about our church. 
This has been a good year. I believe our church is in a good place. It's strong. I like the word healthy. I think our church is really healthy. But we've had uh, 20 people, I've told you, there's 20 people join our church this year. Our membership now is like 80 couple. So almost uh, a quarter of the of people that are members now weren't members a year ago. Now, some of you have been here for a while, and some of you are new. Uh, but that's, that's, that's amazing. Now, it's not about numbers, obviously, but numbers represent people, and people have names, and, and these, these people have stories, and so that's what's, what's important. Uh, we've got four people, we baptized four people, we've got, uh, I think, eight more people to baptize, and it's all about following Jesus and changing together. So I want to start with this story. Back in 1941, the world was in the midst of what we call World War II. And um, a guy by the name of Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister of England. And he went, uh, I put the date here so I forget it, October 29th, 1941, he went back to the school that he uh, boarded in as a teenager where he had won... Uh, the fencing competition, and he, he would been on the debating team, and that's like 50 years later. And uh, this school was like one of the oldest schools in England. Queen Elizabeth had established it. So he goes back to make this speech. Now, in a minute here, we're going to look at something he said, and, and it's going to sound familiar to some of us, maybe most of us, but it'll sound a little bit different. But it's especially interesting to me is a part that you probably have never heard before. Anyway, at this time, Nazi Germany, Hitler, was bombing. Night after night, was bombing 16 cities in, in uh, London and, and, and the surrounding area with hundreds of tons of bombs every night. And they were trying to break the will of the British people. And it had just the opposite effect. It, 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 it um, what's the word I want? Anyway, it made them even stronger to, in their resistance it just proves that words are more powerful than bombs. So let's look at what he said. Never give. Now, when I think about this, I, in my mind, it's never give up. And that's what the intent is. But he literally said this. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing. Great or small. Large or petty. Never give in. In. That's the part that's familiar, right? Most of you probably heard that before. And um, we say it this way sometimes. The only way to fail at something is to quit. Uh, for you new folks, I, I, uh, I, I run this crazy 50-mile race in, in November every year. I've done it for 13 years. And people say, how do you do it? And I say, you just don't stop. If you don't stop, eventually you get to the end. You cannot fail. And 13 tries, I've finished 13 times. But this is the fascinating part to me. Except, there's an exception to this. Well, what would be the exception? It's, I don't know, some of you have studied English grammar. The frustrating thing to me about English grammar is what? All the rules have exceptions. Drives you crazy. Now, we study Portuguese when we were in Portugal as missionaries. The Portuguese language doesn't have exceptions. So once you learn it, A, it's always like that. But anyway, what would be the exception then? Well, it's really not an exception in the way you say, well, we don't, we do give up. It's, is you make a priority of what? Your convictions. That's the priority. 
So I'm going to restate it this way. The height of our accomplishments, individually, as a church, whatever, will be determined by the depth of our convictions. It's kind of like a building. I built my own house. I was just starting to build Robin's and Josh's house. In fact, they just did the foundation. All right, so for a house, two or three stories, you need a certain size foundation. You build a 10 or 20, 30-story building, you need a much bigger foundation. The higher you go, the deeper you've got to go. And the same thing with you and I, and the same thing with us as a church. So we're only going to go as high, we're only going to get as strong as our convictions. These are the things that, that motivate us. These are things that drive us. These are things that we are passionate about. These are the things that make, keep you up at, at night. So I try to think of a practical definition of convictions, and here's what I came up with. This is the blood, sweat, and tears. And why do I use that? Because we all have goals. We all have, you know, New Year's is coming up. We're going to make New Year's resolutions. And then three months later, we're probably not doing any of them, right? They're just kind of goals. They're just kind of beliefs. They're kind of wishful thinking things. We really don't pour the blood, sweat, and tears in. If we truly do, we'll do it. So these are things we, not things we just believe. These are things we really do. With time, energy, effort, money into it. So I want to ask the question this morning. What are our convictions? Now, I get to, t- to say what I would like them to be. I think they are. I hope they are. And I, hopefully I'm speaking for our church leadership and hopefully for most of you. And if you're new or um, these aren't your convictions, uh, maybe um, you can adopt them. They can become your convictions. But first I want to talk about something that a guy by the name of Paul wrote. Paul was a guy who had some strong convictions that this Jesus movement, this Jesus followers were wrong, so he went around arresting them and killing them. Then he had this dramatic conversion, and then he became a Jesus follower, and then started planting churches all over the Mediterranean. Then he would write letters to them, and almost half of the New Testament, we call the New Testament the Bible, are things that this guy Paul wrote. So you think this guy had convictions? He had conviction before he became a Jesus follower. You think he had convictions afterwards? Yes, absolutely, lots of them. But we're going to focus in on something he said in, in, a, in a letter written to the church at uh, uh, Philippi. We call it Philippians. And here's what he said. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. These things would be his convictions. Or that I've already reached perfection. And that was kind of the, <laughs> uh, the ultimate conviction. Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect, and sometimes we kind of let that, that's one of those things we don't kind of just don't think is important because we can't do it, but Paul said, no, 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 this is important. This is something you are to blood, sweat, pour blood, sweat, and tears into to try and do. You may not accomplish, you're not going to accomplish it on this side of death, but that's something you don't give up on. So he says, I press on to possess that Perfection. I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying. I'm never, ever going to give in or, or to give up. Then he goes on. No, dear friends, I am still not all I should be. I'm not all I should be. You're not all you should be. Our, our church isn't all it should be. But that's okay. We're in process, right? But I am focusing all my energies on this one thing. It's actually two things. <laughs> 
forgetting the past. Now, did Paul have reasons to forget his past? Well, I just told you, he had big reasons to forget the past. We would call big regrets, and you may have big regrets. I have big regrets. But regrets can hold you back. Regrets can keep you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish now. And if you're a Jesus follower, uh, they're forgiven. So he said, you know, I'm not dwelling on that. I'm forgetting about that. And looking forward to what lies ahead. I am, you know, not looking backwards. I'm looking forward. I'm I'm headed in in a certain direction, and I'm going to keep going in that direction. How do you let go of the past? To understand that Jesus died for your sins. You accept that gift. Your sins are forgiven. And the Bible says it's like they never even happened. So we have uh, a new start, if you will. And so we can let it go. But then he says, I'm looking for it. I'm focused. And I think it's a really good word. I'm focusing all my energies. It's easy to get diverted, or distracted. Um, it's kind of like when you're running a race. You, know, you, don't, you don't look at the scenery, you look ahead. You keep going forward because you got a, a destination at the end of the, end of the race. So he, he says it again in the next verse. I press on. I press on. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. So ultimately, the prize isn't even here uh, on this earth. Well, that's his goal. That's his conviction. He has a single-mindedness about him. Uh, he uses a, a, an athletic uh, illustration. Olympics are coming up next year. And I'm always amazed when they tell these stories of these Olympic athletes. These are just young people, teenagers, young adults. And they, they're, basically their job 24-7 is training. And I don't know about you, but you know, I can remember being a teenager, a young adult. I didn't want to be spending all my time training. I wanted to have some fun. I want to go out and party. These folks don't do that. <laughs> you know, they get up really early in the morning, go early, bed at, early at night, because why? Why would they get up all that quote-unquote fun of being a young person? Because they have a single-minded focus. I want to be the best at quote-unquote swimming, whatever, running, whatever, that in the world, or maybe ever. So the only way I can accomplish that is to pour all my blood, sweat, and tears into this activity or this event. And Paul's saying, same thing with me. I've got one goal, <laughs> uh, one conviction, and I'm going to pour all my time, energy, and money into, into that. Then he says something really interesting in the next verse. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. Now, churches are notoriously, notorious for not getting along. <laughs> but um, some of you have taken the membership class, and I dwell on this a lot. According to the Bible, we should get along. We should have a, a supernatural unity. Not that we'll agree on everything. Uh, in fact, it's good to have a sharing of ideas. But ultimately, we serve one God, right? So if we're all following that one God, we should be going in the same direction. Maturing is another word for that is growing. So we continually grow in that relationship we have with God. And then we're going to finish up this morning with this next verse. Next verse. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Uh, We forget about the past, but we hold on to that. Uh, We hold on to what God has blessed, what God has said, hey, this is of value. 
So I want to show you, share with you, they're not in any specific order, and, and there could be a longer list. I'm going to share with you some core convictions I have, and I think our leadership has. But where would you start in finding your core convictions? Well, I think you should start with Jesus, right? Following Jesus, chain together, we ought to figure out kind of what he was doing if we're going to follow him. And if you're a Jesus follower, then we believe that you have the Holy Spirit in you, and there should be some confirmation in your, in your spirit that, yeah, yeah, this is, we're on the right track, we're doing the right thing. The question sometimes is, what is our part, what is God's part? And the old adage is, if you should pray as if it all depends on God, and then work as if it all depends on you. And I think it's a good way to approach it, so... Quickly go through four of these. First one is this. People nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, so they should like us. Now, I've been a pastor quite a while, and how, as a, as a church and as believers, have we missed this? You know, when I was younger, it was, we almost reveled in the fact that, hey, those bad people out there didn't like us because we're not bad like them. Is that what Jesus was like? In fact, who didn't like Jesus? The church people didn't like Jesus. So, if, you know, some church people kind of knock us, maybe we're doing the right thing. But the, not, the, the bad people, the <laughs> sinners, they like Jesus. And, and, and there's a tension here. And I think part of the reason we don't do this is because we're afraid we'll cross the line. So Jesus could go to a party where everybody's drinking, and maybe he drank some, but he'd never get drunk, right? And if I went or you went, we might cross the line. He could hang out with prostitutes and never get into sexual sin. He could do that. There's some way that you and I can do that. And we had, a, had the pleasure of hosting our neighborhood party uh, a week or so ago. <laughs> and the interesting thing was, my wife was telling me this, uh, of all the couples, it's, I don't know, there was four or five couples there. Only one of them were married. That's the world we live in, right? We could have said, oh, no, I don't want to hang out with you guys because you're not married. No, we had a great time. People, nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. So people, nothing like us, I mean the people out there should like us. And one reason they don't like us is because we act like we're better than them. Are we any better than them? The only difference between them and us is the grace of God. That's the only difference. So we've got to get them to like us. We've got to get their attention. So how do you do that? And I think one of the ways is, probably you wouldn't think about this. Jesus said, know the truth and the truth will set you free. We've got to tell them the truth. Tell it lovingly. But hey, you're missing out on life. <laughs> you might think this is, you know, what life is about, but hey, you're missing out. In fact, uh, you're not free. You're enslaved to whatever you can't control in your life. And you're dealing with the guilt and regrets that you have. You're disconnected from God. That's not the way you were, God didn't make you for that. We have to figure out what, quote, unquote, the church is for, or who it's for. Is it for us that are here, or is it for everybody? And my question is, who did Jesus die for? Died for everybody. People nothing like us should like us. Secondly, our church needs to be the most creative place on the planet. One of my fears as a pastor is that we will sit, soak, and sour. We'll get happy with the, where we are, so to speak. 
And it's easy to do, especially if, you know, God's blessing it, right? But with God's blessing now, he's not going to bless, you know, two years from now. Because God keeps moving. We need to keep moving. Now, I'm very conservative or, or uh, fundamental theologically. And I shared that a little earlier. About, you know, I, you know, I believe in virgin birth, res, death and resurrection of Jesus, etc. But our methodology, the way we do church, should be as liberal as possible. Nothing out of bounds. Because if we're going to reach people nobody is reaching, we've got to do things that nobody else is doing. That makes sense, right? We've got to be a church like no other church. Because I believe Jesus wants to reach them all. So if the way we do a church isn't reaching them, we've got to do it different. That just makes common sense. Besides, who knows what the first verse of the Bible says? In the beginning, God did what? Created. We serve the create, most creative being in the universe, the one that created everything, created all of us. We're pretty different, right? I used to think I wasn't creative, and then I was convicted of the fact that that's, that's blasphemy. If you're a child of God, you're creative because the Spirit of God dwells in you, and He created everything. So our methodology, the way we do church, the way we share the truth, the gospel, has to change. We've got to be as creative as possible. The message, the truth, obviously, never changes. Third core conviction. Our church needs to be in the middle of the marketplace. Where did Jesus hang out? Did he hang out at church? We very, very little of, you read all the gospels, stories about Jesus, I, I don't know what percentage it is. It's probably less than 5% of the time he's in church. He's hanging out where? He's hanging out at parties, uh, weddings, uh, hanging out around a well. He's, hang, he's out in the fields. He's walking around with people. He didn't, you know, hang out inside the four walls. And part of that is, and we say it this way, ministry is messy. I heard it new, in a new way of saying it. Uh, we walk toward the messes. Now, Let's be honest. We all were a mess. Maybe we are, we are a mess. I know we're all one dumb decision away from being a mess, right? So we all in the same boat here. Now the problem is when we deal with messes is you, every, everybody's unique. The messes are unique. And we have this concept of fairness. But let me just ask you a simple question. Did Jesus heal everybody? Was, that wasn't fair, was it? And I love this. Do for the one which you wish you could do for everyone. So when you're involved dealing with helping minister to some person, do what you can, even if you can't do it for everybody. Do for that one which you wish you could do for all. And the reality is this. You can't go to church. We use that expression. I came to church this morning. You can't go to church because you are the church. And the you need an example. For hundreds of years, the church had no buildings. We call this the church, but it's not a church. It's the building. You and I are the church. So consequently, you are in the marketplace or the school place or the community place. The question is, are you the church when you're there? Are you hiding? Now, I was a, teen- I was a Christian when I was a teenager, and I went to school, and I kind of kind of hid the fact I mean, people knew, but, I, you know, I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> deal with the peer pressure. 
But we have to realize, and I, I share it this way, it's the easiest way for me to understand. If somebody had cancer, and you had the cure, and it was free, what would you do with it? <laughs> Folks, you got something better than the cure for cancer. We can cure cancer, they're going to die of something else, right? But we're not talking about physical death, we're talking about spiritual death. And we had the cure, and it's free. Jesus paid it all for it. Now, I don't believe in sh- ramming it down anybody's throat, but we need to let them know. You're missing out in life because you're not connected to the Almighty. And last one, our gifts are somebody else's miracle. And I started talking about this last week. And a good example is what we call our, our ministries or mission, mission trips. We'll put a slide up here. Uh, we have a local ministry or two ministries, Micah's Backpack and Tabitha's Table, feeding folks. And to those folks that get food that don't have food, do you think that's a miracle to them? And then, uh, Cheryl, you in here, Cheryl? Oh, she's not in here. Working with kids, probably. Uh, Cheryl's in a couple of those slides. She, she actually went outside the country on, I guess you'd call it a medical mission trip to a very, very poor part of Central America. And those people that have no medical care, do you think that was a miracle that they got medical care? Absolutely. Then we, every spring and sometime in the fall, we go to Deep Creek Lake and minister there. And then I think the last five years, we've done mission construction trips. And there's a slide from this past year. At our biggest group this last year, eight of us, went to this Hispanic church in Cleveland, did all this construction work. They had this room that had no drywall in it or anything. And when we left, it had drywall on it. We were able to be a miracle to those folks. Give you another statistic. Roy, thanks for the figures. We turn in figures every year about different things. One thing we turn in financial figures. And our church gave away over $50,000 this year. Now, to give you that perspective, our budget's $200,000. I mean, some of that was over, over the budget. And some of that's not recorded, I'm sure. So about a quarter of what is given here financially, we give away. Now, the Bible talks about you can't outgive God. Um, that's true. Yeah, the old expression is God's work done God's way won't lack God's support. And kind of a praise is all year since February we had bad weather. We've been operating in the red as a church. I've shared this with you. We, we were within $1,000 of breaking even last month and we've had excellent offerings this month. And unless something strange happens where I think we're going to make it, Finish the year in the black. So in those 25 years I've been here, only one year did we not do that. Thank you for your generosity. Financially, thank you for your generosity, your time and energy, uh, your convictions. Now, uh, we're about out of time, so uh, quickly let me finish up with this. What is God's priority? It's a good question, right? They asked Jesus this. Okay, we've got all these rules. What's really important? You know, what's the most important thing? And here's what he said. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind. Okay. Makes sense. But he said, no, 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 no. wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> There's actually something else equally important. Well, what could be as important as that? Jesus tells us. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, this, you know, you got the whole Bible, you want to pull it down? <laughs> there it is. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's the main thing. 
Pour your time, energy, effort, blood, sweat, and tears into that. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. This is for all of us, not just for us pastor types. My question is, are you willing to do what it takes to be God's church? Sum it up, summarize it this way. We are and will become our convictions. That's our future as a church. That's our future as individuals. And there's too many people that you and I know that we rub shoulders with that are far from God. Are we willing to do what it takes so they can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus? Will you join us? That's our convictions, some of our convictions. If not, why not? And if so, when? Thank you for letting me share. Let's pray. God, I can't thank you enough for being a pastor of this church here. Um, I wouldn't want to be anyplace else. I thank you for these folks here that, that love you and love their neighbors. I thank you for the way that you have honored that uh, this, th- this year. God, you've trusted us with new folks. Keep our vision, our convictions clear, God. Let us not look back. Let us look forward. Let us find out what you are doing and join you for your glory. We want to pray for anyone here that is not in relationship with you, that hasn't had their sins forgiven, that they would just just accept that gift right now. Say, yes, God. I know you love me and you care for me. You know what's best for me. You want to forgive me. Here is my sin. Here's my life. Again, God, we thank you for your grace and mercy that you shower all of us, all of us mess-ups. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have a response card, a connection card. Let us know what you're thinking. Hey, Pastor, you're right on track. Hey, you, you, you missed this or you missed that. Uh, certainly, if you made that decision to step across the line, uh, you need to let us know about that because the purpose of the church is to be here, to uh, parent you, I guess is a good way to use, because it's just, you're described as born again. You're like a newborn babe, and you need uh, support and care, and that's why we're here. Uh, let us know how we can help. Thank you.